Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. Um, Our guest today is the director and producer of a brand new film called Chasing Coral that's available on Netflix. So if you've got Netflix, you're in business because you can stream it now. Now, Jeff Orlowski is our guest, and hes you probably have heard of him because he served as the director, producer, and cinematographer on the Sundance award-winning film Chasing Ice. And he was invited to screen at the White House, the United Nations, and Congress. And he's captured over 40 awards from film festival festivals around the world. And now this brand-new film, Chasing Coral, is the follow-on um, to some of that work, although it's a very, very different um, subject matter. And I'm just thrilled to have you on the show, Jeff. Welcome to Go Green Radio. Thank you so much, Jill. Really excited to talk with you. Well, I'm excited to talk with you, too. I viewed the film, and it was so well done and so moving, and I'm excited to dive into the particulars. But before we do... (laughs) You know, I know that we have a lot of listeners who are like me. I grew up in the Midwest. We have a lot of listeners in the Central Plains states, and they don't have a lot of connection to the ocean. They might get to visit it on vacation a few times in their lives, but they may not know, you know, what a coral reef is. So talk to us about what a coral reef is and the role that they play in the ocean's ecosystem. Yeah, and uh, just to start off, when we when we first started this project, um, I live here in Colorado right now. I knew very little about the ocean, had spent very little time in the ocean, and this project was really a, a big eye-opening experience for me because um, the first year or so was just learning about how complicated and how interconnected and how critical the ocean is as an ecosystem to the entire planet. So coral reefs are one ecosystem within the ocean. Um, They're found on coasts usually. They're found only in certain parts of the planet. They don't exist everywhere. Um, But they are the backbone to the ocean in many ways. They're they're often considered the the nursery for the ocean. And it's something like 25% of all life in the ocean spends part of its life cycle on a coral reef. And so let me, I want to talk a little bit about corals themselves because I really knew nothing about them before mm-hmm. this project and I've completely fallen in love with these creatures. I thought they were just rocks, you know, colorful rocks that, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I sort of knew that they were animals, but none of that really made sense. Um, and, uh, mm-hmm. this, this entire process for me was an exposure into what these um, creatures are, how critical they are to the ecosystem and, and how threatened they are right now. Um, a coral is an animal, it's a, it's a fleshy, it's a small, thin, fleshy animal that has plants, these little algae that live in its flesh, in its skin, and those plants photosynthesize just like a tree does, like a leaf on a tree does. And so, the, as a result of the photosynthesis by the plants, that energy then feeds the animal itself. So, imagine in our skin, imagine we had little leaves millions and millions of little leaves in our skin feeding us the energy from the sun. And we wouldn't have to eat. We wouldn't have to do anything. We're just getting the energy from the sun. That's effectively how the animal functions. It has these little photosynthetic creatures living in its skin. And as the animal grows, it 
makes a rock. It, it creates these structures, and that's what people are used to seeing. When you picture, you know, mm-hmm. if you've gone on a vacation and you've seen a piece of coral on the shore or a piece of coral in somebody's beach house, you see that white skeleton. That's the, uh, the remnants of the coral. That's, that's the coral without the animal and without the plant. That's the stone that you're seeing. And that beautifully intricate, elaborate stone um, is what provides the structure for the entire coral reef. So it creates this massive three-dimensional structure just like a city. And that's where all the creatures and all the fish and all the animals, uh, they live in and amongst those structures, just like a, you know, a skyscraper provides homes for people, those corals, as they get bigger and bigger, they provide the homes for the fish. So, um, I don't know, that's my best attempt at simplifying this incredibly complicated and intricate creature, um, but it has this, this massive, uh, well, it has this fascinating interconnected relationship between these various parts, um, and that that makes a structure that can grow to be massive and they can be seen from space. Like that's the crazy thing. These, these coral reefs can grow to be so large. You can see them from, from satellites. You can see them from space. I think that's incredible. And you did a great job of explaining it, by the way. And, and I was just like you. Before I watched your film, I thought of corals as rocks. You know, I didn't realize mm-hmm. that they were animals. And the film just beautifully captures the the vibrance and the life that, that yeah. a healthy yeah. coral has. Now, how did you specifically choose the coral reefs that you would film uh, for the movie? Yeah, so... Um when we first got started, it was, like I said, it was a huge learning process for us, exploring the planet, um, working with different scientists and experts to learn about what was going on. And in that process, we, we were following various teams. And there was one team in particular, this guy named Richard Vivers, who sort of kicks off the whole film. Um, Richard's background was in advertising, and he really wanted to shed light on this subject. Um, he looked at this problem. Uh, as a communications problem. The scientists know what's going on, but the general public tends to not know what's going on um, because it's, sometimes it's hard to communicate this stuff. So Richard and his team were traveling. Uh, they were meeting a lot of different experts from a lot of different places. And through Richard, we started following his quest. As, as we got deeper and deeper into production, um, there were some specific things that we were looking for. So there's a, a phenomenon called coral bleaching, and that really became, over the, over the first year that we were shooting, that became the crux of the visual story that we were, we were going after, um, chasing, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. Corals are, uh, as the ocean is warming up, which has been very well documented, um, the, the water temperature simply is getting beyond the capacity for corals themselves. Um, we're basically, we're heating up the water to the point where the corals can't survive in those ocean temperatures. And as a result of that, um, I can explain the science more, but uh, the, the simple, simple reason, uh, explanation is that as the temperature rises, the corals get stressed and they turn white. And that is what the scientists have called bleaching. Um, just because it looks like they've been bleached white. Um, if the temperature continues to get hotter and hotter, the corals then just flat out die. 
Um, and that's what we were looking to capture. We were looking for the places on the planet that were experiencing this phenomenon. At the start of the project, it was really, really hard for us to kind of get to the place, the right place at the right time. Um, but by the end of the project, the bleaching event became so significant that most of the corals that we were seeing were bleaching and dying. Wow. And we're going to get into the particulars of that. And um, mm-hmm. let me just, I'm going to spoiler alert just a little bit. Uh, if you watch this film, you may want to have a tissue because I myself cried. I thought it was really, uh, the images were overwhelmingly beautiful, but also haunting. Um, now, yeah. just before we move into, you know, what's happening with the coral reefs and, you know, some of the things that you documented with the film, I don't think it's necessarily evident to everybody um, what benefits coral reefs have, you know, we can talk about the ocean life around them and, you know, people may or may not care about that. But to human beings, there are some real benefits that we, um, that we receive from coral reefs. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, let me just talk about a brief little sort of a meta point before we even go into coral reefs specifically. Um, sure. This is one of my sort of learnings and realizations having worked on these projects now for the last decade or so. Um, humans, we, we've become so separate from nature, we've lost touch with the systems that keep us alive in many ways. Um, I'm from New York originally, and I, every time I'm back home in New York and I'm in the city and I can, you know, you're living there in, in a city and food, all the food that you need gets brought to you and all the waste just sort of disappears. It's sort of like this, you're in the system where there are inputs and outputs. Everything that you need to keep you alive is being brought to you, and then all the waste and byproducts get, get you know, removed and brought somewhere else. And we don't really pay attention to where that stuff is coming from. Where does our water come from? Where does our food come from? And we've gotten so accustomed to just turning the faucet and water arrives at whatever temperature you want, however much of it that you want. We've gotten so accustomed to that that we've really lost touch with the systems that, that provide for human livelihoods, for, for human survival. Coral reefs are just another one of those systems. They're a huge system. Um, there are estimated to be half a billion to a billion people, a billion humans, that depend on coral reefs for their main source of protein. So the main source of food that they're getting, these are communities that live close to the coasts in many cases. Um, these are communities that in many cases are not affluent communities that are, that are bringing food in from other places as much as they're, they're depending on the food coming out of these ecosystems themselves. So it provides a huge, huge source of protein for, for populations around the world. It provides the livelihood, the livelihood and the jobs for those people as well in many cases. They provide uh, a, an actual physical buffer. So you call the, the Great Barrier Reef has this word in it, barrier. Mm-hmm. And for many, many coastal communities, the coral reef is a physical barrier. It's a storm break. So when storms are coming in, the corals are what slow down all the energy from those storms. So if you don't have coral reefs, those storms affect the coasts much, much faster, causing sea level rise, causing uh, um, uh, just erosion of the coastline in a, in a really, really big way. Another huge thing is uh, the medical opportunities coming out of reefs. Some of the leading cancer drugs right now, there are a number of different cancer drugs that come from 
from reefs themselves, in some cases from sponges or from sea fans or other, um, other different organisms that live on a coral reef. Coral reefs are so ridiculously biodiverse. Um, when you talk about biodiversity, like this word gets thrown around. Um, but coral reefs really are, in many ways, the epitome of biodiversity. It's, it's kind of funny. The coral experts and the rainforest experts are all like fighting to, to be able to say which ecosystem is the most diverse. And what I've learned is that um, rainforests have the most biodiversity from the perspective of number of species. A lot of them are different insects, just huge, huge number of insects. Coral mm-hmm. reefs are the most biodiverse when it comes to the classes of organisms. So it's a more complicated mm-hmm. um, organizational structure. It's a higher level of, of structure, not at the species level, but at the class level. And coral reefs, they really are this biological hotspot with so many different types of life living in them. And they've, the most beautiful, fascinating thing is, are these symbiotic relationships. So what we were just, what we were talking about just a few minutes ago about the coral animal with plants living in it, the two of them are dependent on each other. You can't have the animal without the plants. You can't, the plants can't live anywhere else without the animal. Um, that is an example of a symbiotic relationship. But one of the mm-hmm. most classic examples is a clownfish and an anemone. So this is a, a, on a reef, you have these little clownfish, the little nemos. They live in an anemone. That's their home. That's where they live. Uh, the clownfish help feed the anemone, and the anemone provides shelter for the clownfish, and they depend on each other. And there are countless, countless, countless examples mm-hmm. of symbiotic relationships on a coral reef, each of them and providing their own that. diversity, their own insights. Yep, in the film, you capture that so, so well. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we have so much more on this brand new Netflix original, Chasing Coral documentary. We'll be right back after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. Just as a reminder, if you love Go Green Radio, there's something else you're going to love, and that's the organization behind Go Green Radio. It's called the Go Green Initiative, and it is the largest environmental education program globally. We work with over 2.5 million students in schools in all 50 U.S. states and in 73 countries around the world. And we help their schools do two things, conserve natural resources for future generations and to educate the community around the school in different ways that they can preserve and protect human health um, that is related to environmental degradation. And so if you would like to get involved, go to gogreeninitiative.org. We'd love to have you part of the organization, part of the discussion. So join us. If you're just tuning into the show, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Jeff Orlowski, and he is um, the director behind a brand new film that I'm wild about. It's called Chasing Coral. And you can check it out. Um, Don't close this tab in your web browser. Keep listening to us on voiceamerica.com, but open a new tab in your web browser and go to www.chasingcoral.com. And you can kind of follow along, look at the website while we're talking with Jeff. So Jeff, you mentioned briefly in the last segment, a few of the experts who were involved in helping you make this film, but I'd like to hear a few more. Who are some of the scientists and technologists and, you know, some of the experts that helped you make this film? Oh, my goodness. Uh, there are so many different scientists that we were involved with from different institutions from around the, uh, around the country and around the world. Um, this has been, uh, it, it's kind of crazy, the number of people that have worked on the project, multiple hundreds, probably like four or 500 people have worked on it. Um, so we, uh, a couple of the lead scientists are out of Australia and out of Hawaii. Um, and out of D.C., working with NOAA, working with the University of Queensland, uh, the Hawaii Institute of Marine Biology. And this really is uh, a, a global-scale project, and it really is a global story. That's been one of the biggest things for us um, as a realization that um, pretty much every single scientist that we've... I, I, I say pretty much. I can't even think of a single exception. Every coral reef biologist we've met, every ocean scientist we've met, they've all had the same exact perspective around how fast the oceans are changing right now, how startling it is, how shocking it is. Um, we're, we're going through these massive, massive changes, and most people, I, I certainly didn't know, and my mindset is most people don't know because we spend very little time in the ocean. Very few people get to go to the ocean and go scuba diving. So it really is sort of a, a function of out of sight, out of mind. Absolutely. And you know what was cool? There's a point in the film where you guys show how you engaged citizen scientists from around the world. Yeah. Talk, talk to yeah. us a little bit about that part, because that was really cool. 
Yeah, that's uh, I'm so glad you referenced that's one of my favorite parts of the film. Um, our team worked really, really hard to do that. Our, our co-producer Stacy Piccolo and our producer Larissa Rhodes just made you know moved mountains to make this happen. Um, we were trying to capture that phenomenon we were talking about of coral bleaching, and so we were going to some specific places on the planet that were experiencing bleaching. Um, but we, you know, we still have a limited team. We had a, a small team. And we could only be in one place at one time. And we were documenting the bleaching at that point in Australia and a little bit in New Caledonia as well, um, which is a country I didn't even know about before this project. Um, <laughs> and uh, while, as we were out there, we were seeing from the satellite data and from all the imagery uh, that many other places were starting to bleach as well. So we did this call out for help. Uh, we recorded a little video and posted it to YouTube and sent it to the scuba diving community, all the different places that we can get connected to. And we just asked people, look, if you live in these places, X, Y, or Z, we're, we're expecting bleaching to happen. Please document it. Please, you know, we, we gave people tips and uh, suggestions on how to document it, what to look for, uh, what sort of photographic techniques to use. And we ended up getting over 150 people from 50 different countries submitting their own images and their own documentation of the bleaching happening in their own backyard. And for us, this was a, a super compelling part of the story because what we were documenting in Australia was really trying to showcase the depth of what was going on, how intense it looks, um, diving every single day, four to six hours in the water every day on the reef, documenting the changes over time. Uh, but then this global call and the citizen science component was really an opportunity for the public to come together and to showcase just how widespread this issue was, where it was happening, what parts of the planet was experiencing this phenomenon. And those two stories together, in my mind, are really the whole the compelling point. You get to see how bad it is and you get to see how widespread it is. Um, and when you put the pieces together, it is a really startling uh, reality that we're facing right now of how much this, the oceans are changing. It's really true. And I, I loved how you incorporated that into the film. I also was so interested in you know, your work with NOAA to try and use information yeah. that they had to choose your sites. Talk to us about that because I thought yeah. that was pretty cool. I mean, this is one of the coolest things for us. Um, we knew that this phenomenon was happening, but how do you actually get to the right place at the right time? How do you get there uh-huh. before the corals bleach? Once it bleaches, it's, it's done. It's either white or it's dead, and, and uh, the imagery is, is not the same at that point. So we needed to get there ahead of the bleaching. Uh, so we work with Mark Aiken, who's uh, one of the lead scientists. He runs a, a, cor- a big coral program through NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Um, those are the guys who give us our weather reports. They give us the satellite data. We know what the weather's looking like from the satellite information. And we were working closely with Mark to be able to predict where the corals would bleach. So they've now seen, over the last couple of decades, there have been a couple of bleaching events, um, but this last couple of years was the third mass global bleaching event. But there were two other really big global bleaching events in the past, and they've been able to correlate what uh, the, the ocean surface temperature and when bleaching happens. So we now know if the ocean, if the surface temperature of the ocean 
is one to two degrees Celsius hotter than the normal summertime average, if the water temperature is hot like that, we know to expect the corals to start turning white. So Mark and his team were using the satellite data to tell us, look at this part. This part of Hawaii is abnormally hot right now and in a couple of weeks we're expecting the corals to start bleaching and sure enough we would go there and we would see the corals in that region start to turn white and we were getting predictions like this for a couple of years being able to point out where on the planet um, we would see this phenomenon wow and, and then you know when you were able to get to those those places you guys had a pretty nifty technology that was invented basically just for this film to capture yeah. those images. Yeah. Talk to us about that because that was, I mean, that was pretty wild. Um, when we first learned about this, we knew that we needed to capture change over time of a coral reef. And so it sounds really, really simple at face value, but to be able to pull that off uh, technologically, uh, that was a huge learning curve for us. Um, we needed a camera that could live underwater and could shoot for a couple of months on its, on its own power um, that could shoot an extremely high resolution that we wanted. And the trickiest thing uh, of all of that is anything that you put in the ocean starts getting um, what's called biofowl. All sorts of little algae and life forms and little critters will start living on any clean surface. Um, so if you put a camera system in the water very quickly, there's going to be a lot of things starting to grow on it and you can't let the glass get dirty like that. You won't have good pictures. You'll just get a big smudgy image. So we needed to figure out a way to take pictures that would keep the, and we'd be able to keep the glass clean. So we reached out to a bunch of friends and uh, we got connected to a team that's actually based in, in Colorado, literally like down the block from our office of all places. And they had this technology for underwater webcams. So this team has been installing underwater webcams where you can go to their website and you can just live stream a coral reef around the planet. And we took their existing technology modified it and adapted it um, with them for the, the purposes of what we wanted. We built uh, what we understand is the world's first underwater solar application, uh, which was pretty cool. And uh, we built these systems to be able to go and shoot the reef day in and day out for months and months on end. And uh, this was this new technology that we had to build just to be able to capture the story this way. It, that's really cool. And and I have to say, before we take a quick break, watching that portion of the film and what you guys went through, and there was a lot of time pressure to get going on this because, you know, you had to get to these areas before the corals bleached. And so there's a lot of pressure. And it was really interesting to watch that whole, yeah. that whole thing take place. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but we've got much more. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. And in case you're just tuning in, let me catch up. Uh, we're talking today about a brand new film that's now available on Netflix. It's called Chasing Coral. And we have the director on with us today, Jeff Orlowski, very highly decorated and award-winning um, producer, director, and cinematographer. And this film is Gorgeous. I mean, besides the fact that you will learn a lot about a very vital ecosystem to our world, you are going to get eye candy like you have never seen before. It's mm-hmm. gorgeous. <laughs> Jeff, awesome. you know, it's, it is. I mean, it's just beautiful. You know, in the last segment, we were talking about, you know, some of the things that you guys went through to create a new technology to do some of the filming for the for the movie. But you know, you ended up facing a few obstacles uh, with the filming process. Talk to us a little bit about what your team went through to capture what we enjoy. Oh, man. Um, working in the ocean is really challenging. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the first the first takeaway. Um, technology does not tend to like salt water. Um, and uh, it, it just becomes a huge, huge challenge to work in the ocean. But one of the, the biggest problems for us... Um, like we were saying, we just needed to be in the right place at the right time. We needed the technology to work. We had huge challenges with the equipment that we were building for a, a variety of reasons. Um, I don't want to reveal too much of a spoiler, but at the at the end of the day, we had to sort of just do a bunch of things through brute force, through um, diving every single day, spending hours and hours in the water every day, and manually doing time lapses. So our team literally would go just just imagine trying to take the same exact picture uh every day for a couple of months and now if you're doing that on land uh that's that's one thing where you can stand in one spot and you can mm-hmm. point the camera and you put the tree in the same spot and you put the you know the horizon in the same spot but now you're doing it relatively close up you're very close to the subjects 
uh, and you're doing it while scuba diving in a place where the ground changes every day, the sand is moving every single day, and you need to get the camera to be aligned very, very accurately. Um, so we had huge, huge challenges uh, to accomplish this. We were using underwater lasers to triangulate the cameras in three-dimensional space and um, had all of these references with the tripods and, the, and markers in the sand and uh, a referenced laminated print. And we were using all of these different things to get the camera back into the same repeatable position. Uh, just to be able to capture these changes over time. And the the footage that you guys created is just breathtaking. Talk to us, you know, there's no substitute for watching the film, but talk us through what you captured when when we're talking about this time-lapsed photography that, well, videography of the coral reefs as healthy animals and then what happens. Talk Talk us through that a little bit. Yeah, um, it, it is somewhat sad imagery, to be honest, um, and this is kind of the, the sad part of the story in some ways. Um, we always, we were trying to get images of corals bleaching, that, that phase where they turn white. That was always the goal of this project. Um, what we ended up capturing was far more intense and far um, more daunting in some ways, where we actually just witnessed an entire ecosystem dying in front of our eyes. Um, we spent two months on the Great Barrier Reef diving every day, and literally we just watched the slow-motion catastrophe of this reef ecosystem die. And... I, I bring this up, I, I mean, this has been a year and a half now since we did this. I've become sort of desensitized in some ways um, because we've seen the imagery for so long and we've been talking about it for so long. But it, it really is uh, this massively shocking change that's happening on the planet right now. Um, and we're, we're here just as a messenger that, that's been able to be out in the field and we've seen it and we've documented it. Um, so we're really just trying to bear witness to the changes happening on the planet. Um, this is the most shocking thing from my perspective. These changes are happening regardless of whether or not we made this film or regardless of, of uh, you know, how much this is being covered in the press. But I didn't know anything about it. And we're not mm-hmm. talking about the loss of an individual animal. You know, we're not talking about the loss of one dolphin species or one whale species or one rhino species. We're talking about the loss of an entire ecosystem. And that mm-hmm. is massively shocking. We've entered a new era of human-caused changes on the planet where we are affecting ecosystem-wide changes. And the scary thing is that it doesn't stop with coral reefs. This is just what we're seeing changing right now over the last couple of years. But we also know that seagrass meadows are changing. We know that mangrove ecosystems are changing. We know that agricultural patterns are changing, like where we can grow our crops is changing. So these shifts are changing right now, and the trajectories are only getting more and more serious. So the photographs that we shot... Um, really, it was an attempt to visualize the changes happening in the ocean, and they ended up being far more shocking than anybody on our team had anticipated. Um, and, and from my perspective, 
hopefully this can serve as a wake-up call. This is what the public needs to see to understand what is going on. Um, I'm sure many of your listeners, like I'm sure many people know somebody who's skeptical of whether or not the planet's changing or how bad mm-hmm. it is. I know there are lots of people that we meet uh, when we're doing screenings that, you know, they have family members, they have friends, they know people who are skeptical about climate change. And I understand the, the cause and the reason for their skepticism. There is a lot of confusing information out there. There's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of misinformation that's been intentionally propagated. And so if the general public's confused, I understand where that confusion is coming from. What we're trying to do is show people, hey, look, you don't have to listen to the political debates. You don't have to listen to, you know, people trying to argue about charts and graphs and is this warming, is it not warming. You can just look at the pictures and you can see for yourself there's something very strange and abnormal happening in the ocean. This is not supposed to happen. If this happened on a regular basis, there would be no corals on the planet. There would be no Great Barrier Reef. We're on a trajectory right now where we're going to lose coral reefs as an entire ecosystem. We're talking about coral reef collapse ecosystem-wide within the next 30 years or so. That is not normal. And that's the level of change that we're talking about. And we're we're hoping that these visuals can help explain to people what's going on in a very intuitive, natural way where they they don't have to think about it. They can just look at the images and get it. Well, and I think mission accomplished, Jeff, because, you know, when I viewed the film, I just, I was expecting you to take some notes and, you know, look at the science and what have you, but I was watching it in my room and I was very, very quiet. My husband came in and there were tears streaming down my face. He's like, what is going on? And we started watching it together and we got very quiet. And I mean, I hope he doesn't hate me for saying this, but he cried too. It, It was like, you know, I didn't expect to be watching an animal and the animals around it die, you know, in, in this way. Yeah. And it was so moving. It was as if I was watching, you know, an animal that we all know and love, you know, like a, a panda bear or, a, you know, an elephant or something that really moves us. This had that same impact. And that shocked me because I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm just not that emotional. But this was really gripping. And I'm just wondering, I, you know, how did your you. team... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how did your team process that? How did you guys, how were you and your team personally impacted by the film? Um, I think every scientist that we've met has been depressed about this harsh reality. Um, They know what's going on and they've been talking about it for decades. There's some scientists that I met where I asked them, um, you know, does... Does, you know, this bleaching that's going on right now in regards to last year's bleaching, you know, does it make you sad? How does it make you feel? And I remember so specifically one scientist told me it's been his job for 30 years to document how much coral is dying. Like, he doesn't get sad about it anymore. He doesn't get desensitized. He's so desensitized to to what's going on that he doesn't. he's beyond the stage of getting emotional with it. Um, for myself and for Zach, one of the subjects in our film, um, I'm, I'm much newer to the space. Um, and I think for a lot of our team, the editors, the writers, this was all so shocking to all of us um, that it was extremely emotional. It is gut-wrenching. Um, I still get choked up when I see the film. I get emotional when I see the film, and I've, I've watched it thousands of times now. Um, and and it, it is something where 
these changes are happening so much faster than anybody had anticipated at such scale. Um, you know, what you were just voicing, one of the, the biggest um, pieces of feedback from, I don't know, ev- everybody that we shared the film with, um, so many people have said that they were so surprised by how emotional this, this made them, how, how they felt and empathized in a way that they didn't think they could. You know, I think we're, we're coming from an uphill battle. Nobody's, you know, very few people are really excited or thrilled by the idea of coral. I mean, I knew nothing <laughs> about it. I just thought it was a rock. And people are like, oh, how is a movie about coral going to be exciting? And, and that's sort of one of these, um, these challenges we had to overcome. But it's one of the things that is super intriguing about the whole project, that these are extremely intriguing, beautiful, captivating landscapes. And hopefully, through our subjects, you fall in love with the landscape. You fall in love with why these places are so magical. And, and through that, you can learn a little bit about what's going on. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, when we talk about the human impact on our ecosystems, yeah. what is it that we're doing or, you know, maybe the better way to ask it, a little bit more neutral, is what is causing this, you know, this phenomenon? We know it's, you know, right. the, the rise in ocean temperature, but let's go back a few more steps. I mean, right. where, what's the root? Yeah, for sure. So the, the direct cause is rising ocean temperature, like you were just saying. And we've seen through satellite data, through on-the-ground measurements, uh, this very consistent rise over the last few decades of ocean temperature changing. And the fascinating thing about this, um, you know, a lot of people are skeptical of, uh, in regards to climate change, people are skeptical. It's like, oh, a couple of degrees difference. What does that matter? Like, a couple degrees is nothing. It's no big deal. And when you think about atmosphere temperature change, uh, a couple of degrees is really, it's, it's not, that's not even really what the point is. The point is not about atmosphere change. The temperature of the ocean is changing. That's the scary thing. So the ocean is absorbing 93% of the energy, of the heat, from climate change. Wow. It's just about the, the physics. It's the thermal capacity of water. Water can retain a lot more energy, a lot more heat than the air can. This is why human environments stay warm at night and very arid environments get cool at night um, just because that moisture is trapping all of the heat. So the oceans are absorbing huge, huge, huge amounts of heat. When you talk about a couple degrees change in the ocean, you have to think about your body temperature rising. So don't think about the thermostat in your room. Think about the thermometer in your mouth. That body temperature rise is what the coral reefs are experiencing. So a couple of degrees is huge for a coral reef. Um, and we're talking about rises above the summer temperatures. That's really the, the key here. It's like that upper limit is being pushed. Now, the scientists have done a lot of research to try to figure out what's causing the temperature of the ocean to warm. And it doesn't fit any natural cycle on the planet. We know what the natural cycles are. The scientists were the ones who discovered natural cycles. We know the main cause of natural cycles is a cycle called the Milankovitch cycle. That's the one, like if you're curious about anything about natural cycles, the Milankovitch cycle is this variability of how the planet spins around the sun. 
So, you know, you picture a, a top spinning. There's like some wobble in there. And basically, to simplify it, like the wobble of the planet, the imperfections in the orbit have caused, when you add them all up, it's caused this 100,000-year-long cycle called the Milankovitch cycle, which has led to all of the glacial periods. That's what causes mm-hmm. the advances and retreats of the glaciers over huge periods of time. But we know that what's happening now doesn't fit that cycle. It's a completely mm-hmm. different pattern. There's no correlation between the natural cycles and what we're seeing on, uh, in the ocean. So the only explanation that the scientists have is that the rising carbon in the atmosphere, the greenhouse gases, we know what greenhouse gases do. We know how they function. They trap heat. That's why it's called, a, it's called a greenhouse gas because we see the same phenomenon happening in greenhouses where mm-hmm. you have this layer, it traps heat, and it stays warmer in a greenhouse than it is outside. That's why we have an atmosphere. That's why the, the planet is warm. Um, and so this, this is the only explanation um, that any of the scientists have for what's going on. We know it's not sun activity. We know it's not sunspots. We know it's not volcanoes. We know it's not all of these things. Um, the only explanation is that the extra greenhouse gases trapped in the atmosphere trap heat, and that heat is being absorbed into the ocean, and that, that extra heat is now shifting, fundamentally shifting how the ocean functions. Makes perfect sense. I mean, and it's complicated, but uh, I mean, it's it's a very scientific way of pinpointing what's going on. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, there's much more. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information, about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're 
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Glad that you're all with us today. We're joined by Jeff Orlowski, who's the director of a brand new film that you'll find on Netflix called Chasing Coral. Um, I love it. And I recommend every last one of you get on there this weekend and check it out. You know, Jeff, I'm, I'm wondering because it, the film is pretty new, but what has the reaction been so far? Oh, my goodness. It's been so amazing. Um, we were at Sundance in January, and the film picked up the Audience Award there, which is one of the most humbling awards we could get. Um, and it's really it's just a testament that the fans and the, the audiences have really resonated with the film. Um, and consistently, at all the film festivals we've been at this year, it's just been uh, great conversations, great Q&As, and, and the audiences have really responded positively. That's awesome. And I noticed that um, Kristen Bell has a music video to go along with the movie. Talk to us a little bit about her involvement and what you hope that song will add to the overall impact of the film. Yeah, well, we... um when you're finishing a film, you have the end credits, of course, right? And uh, more and more films have been trying to use uh, original songs during the end credits. Um, so we, our entire end credits is additional cinematography from the film, a lot of extra footage. So uh, while the credits are playing, it's our hope that people can sit through it and enjoy the, the pictures. Um, we actually have, there's another storyline that even comes up during the end credits. I don't want to spoil it, but it's one of my favorite mm-hmm. parts of the film. And Me so uh, we... We were we had the song, um, our composer and a friend of his had written uh, the song, and then we were able to get connected to Kristen Bell, who has this amazing voice, and uh, she agreed to sing the song for the end credits. And it's just another opportunity to get to a different audience, um, and she has obviously such a huge, huge following and great fan base, and uh, the response from her community has been really, really positive as well. So uh, it's... You know, from our perspective, we're just trying to get the film out there in every way we can to all sorts of different and diverse audiences. Um, We need to depoliticize this issue. We need to get everybody on board. We need people across all aisles, um, unexpected messengers, unexpected partners, uh, to come on board and to support it and to say, look, we all care about this. Let's get away from politics. We're just people who care about our home. And that's really what we're talking about. Well, and one of the things that I loved about the song that she sang, I mean, it's it's beautiful, it's catchy, and, and I'm not going to spoil it, but folks, you got to stick around for the end credits of this movie. It's adorable, and you, you don't want to miss it, yeah. trust me. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm a Generation X uh you know, person, and we grew up on Saturday morning cartoons and something called Schoolhouse Rock, and we learned mm-hmm. all kinds of things through song. You know, I can remember in middle school when we were tested on the preamble of the Constitution, everybody in my class was singing it under their breath because that was a song, (laughs) you know, on Schoolhouse Rock. And so, I, you know, I would love to see more songs like this and, you know, movies like yours reaching younger audiences because, you know, there's a lot of power to these beautiful visuals that you create and songs that stick with us, you know, and and so I loved it. I love that aspect of it. And I have a feeling... You know, that 
people are going to see the film and I don't want people to think that it's just a big downer. Uh, there's actually a message yeah. of hope. So kind of give us that piece of the film and the, the hope and the, you know, we can do this part of the film. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's always an interesting balance because um, for us, I sort of have come away with two big takeaways when working on this project. Um, and that's one, which we spent most of the time talking about, like the reality of what's happening is far worse than I thought. Um, it's, it's worse than I knew before going into this project. But the other really big takeaway take is that the solutions and the optimism and the, the hope is also far greater than I anticipated. We're seeing such huge shifts in technology. We're seeing uh, massive efforts uh, internationally to get onto clean energy, to get off of fossil fuels, to shift the way we power our, uh, our civilization. And we can live the same quality of life that we live now or a better quality of life without emitting carbon, without emitting fossil fuels. And so we, we do end on this hopeful note um, of hinting at all of that and talking about some of the cities and some of the countries that have pledged yep. to shift to clean energy. And we're just seeing a massive, massive positive movement. And that's the movement that we need to support. We need to expedite. We need to really, really encourage this shift that we're already that. seeing happen. It is, yeah, in let's my mind, talk about that, what people can do. Like, what can people do? They see the film. Give us that, like, here's the action plan. What do they do? In, so uh, we have a bunch of resources on our website on chasingcoral.com. So I would strongly suggest people go there, uh, download some of the materials there, the action guides and stuff like that. But the, the biggest thing, and, and there are materials on the website to support this as well, the biggest thing that we need to do is to shift this consciousness. We need a shift in mindset around this issue. And many of your, your listeners get it. Right? We're, we're on board. We know a lot of the stuff that's going on. But we need to be able to get this message wider and wider. And, and talk to us about the screenings. One of the big, yeah, of the talk to us about screenings. With, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's one of the beautiful things about film itself because you can share a film so easily. You can host a screening, you can invite some friends over, just invite some friends over to have dinner and watch a movie, and you can make a difference. This is the most effective way. We, we, spent, all, we spent years trying to put all of these different thoughts into this one package of this film so people can share it in the easiest way possible to get audiences, get, to get their friends to job. understand what's going on. Thank you so so much, Jeff. And I'm so sorry mm -hmm. we're out of time. I wish we had so much more time to talk with you. But everybody get out on ChasingCoral.com. Sign up for a screening. It's fun. Bring your friends together. Have a good time. You know, folks, we're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. So until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.